If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. That's what we're going to be reading, John 5, 1 to 18. If you haven't got a, um, if you haven't got a Bible, um, we'll be projecting on the screen later. Um, so good morning, everybody. Welcome. For those who've had a break, uh, um, I, I hope you've hit 2019, raring to go, refreshed, full of uh, Duracell batteries, something like that. Um, Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Melkam uh, Adis Ahmet, for my Amharic friends. Caleb's not here this morning. Shubonoboborsho, uh, that's my language. Sale Wiprosby. For our Kurdish friends, Saleh no Mubarak, I know that without reading. For our Iranian brothers and sisters, Nuikal mo Baraksha, for our Afghani friends, as well as Rus Belal Ledetan Ametana. I just had to check that before I said that, because that was the hardest one. For our Tigranian brothers and sisters, Happy New Year. I don't know about you. Um, but I am expectant and praying for great breakthrough in 29. I say that every year because I do. Yeah? But I'm expectant for great breakthrough, just like other years in this year too. What do you think of that? You see, this is an issue of faith for me. This, I, I, I kind of feel a faith bubbling and bubbling inside of me, if you like. And Jesus wants this church, you and me, to be more and more significant, visible, and influential, more, hear this, miraculously transformative, life-changing than ever before. What do you say to that? Bill Johnson, a, um, a, Bible, a Bible leader in California, Reading, says, trust is proven most in the midst of confusing circumstances with their corresponding questions. In effect, trust means that what we have come to know to be true about God is greater than all the circumstantial evidence that denies it. This is vital for those who display his unfolding purposes in the earth. That's fair. It isn't brainwashing. It isn't taking your brain out and stop thinking. I believe this is a year, Jubilee, where his weightiness, God's weightiness, the breadth and depth and mystery of his glory and his presence, we felt some of that this morning, will be more evident, more seeable, more experienced in our lives. And we can say, hey, that's very nice, and not receive it. Receiving, Jubilee, is a two-way thing. And listen, the measure of that trust is therefore how we respond to things that don't always turn out how we expect them to. That's the beauty and excitement of an adventure of faith. Otherwise, it'd be boring. God, Jubilee, does what he wants in the way that he wants to, and he wants us, Jubilee, to respond to his ways with trust, belief, and faith. Bold faith, Bill Johnson writes, stands on the shoulders of quiet trust. There's something persevering that happens in quiet trust that bold faith 
is built on. 2019 Jubilee will be marked as a year of extraordinary faith. Faith in action, faith in relationships, faith in going for some of you, faith to persevere, faith for signs and wonders, faith for creativity and joy, faith for salvation, faith for our kids and our younger people, faith for seeing others rise and serve, faith for provision and generosity, faith for breakthrough, faith for citywide change, faith for the nations, faith for the churches across this whole patch, extraordinary faith. I believe that. I believe that. It's bubbling. Jubilee, Jesus is building his church and nothing will come in his way. Hear this, not even you or me. I'm going to pray now before we read to Sirdvulum. Yes, Lord, I thank you that you are the God who was present this morning. I thank you that you are the God who is present with us all the time. I thank you, Lord, for the new people, the new faces I see here this morning. I pray, Lord God, that as we approach this coming year, fill us with faith. Fill us with faith. Fill us with a motivation and excitement rooted through your Holy Spirit, through eyes that see things differently, eyes that look upwards, not downwards, eyes that look beyond the calamities and the impossibilities and the hurdles and the walls, with eyes that see the glory of God and His purposes unfolding in the earth, in Teesside, this nation, and the nations, in lives, in workplaces, in Alpha, in foundations, in Ghana, in Persia, in, in all the different nations in the world that we're involved in. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, Amen. So this morning is very apt as we continue moving through the Gospel of John. Who is Jesus? That's the series we're in at the moment. As we've been looking through this book week by week, John is giving us, I don't know if you've noticed this, John is giving us glimpses of the real Jesus. Not the Jesus that sometimes people celebrate at Christmas. I don't mean you lot, I mean other people. Yeah, The real Jesus, the controversial Jesus, the in-your-face Jesus, the object of this faith that we're talking about. John wants to make crystal clear that Jesus is unlike anyone else you can imagine, and in him there is life beyond your wildest dreams. That's actually his summary of the whole book of John in John 20. That's a bit paraphrased. And so in today's passage, once again... There's tension, because whenever you see the real Jesus, there's tension. Revealing more about who he really is. Let's read it. John 5, 1 to 18. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm recovering from what most of you have got here. Post-Christmas flu. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem from, for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in, in Aramaic is called Bethesda which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there 
had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Odd question. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was healed, cured. He picked up his mat and miraculously walked away. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. That's work. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up my mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that, uh, slipped into, into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him for making someone well. In his defense, Jesus said to him, Hear this. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but worse still, he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, as quickly as we can, four things that I want to bring to your attention this morning before we pray. We're going to pray. If you're a visitor here this morning, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, if you'd like us to, I'll explain how we'll do that later. We have a ministry team here. But there's no pressure. Just relax. Don't get, don't get worried or anything. Uh, enjoy the morning. Also, some of you, as, we, as, we, as, as we've had worship this morning, but also as I speak this morning, some of you, God's going to give you words about specific people, about specific search situations that... God wants you to share this morning. So I want to encourage you to be bold, be receptive to what God has for us this morning. We don't believe in boring church, do we? I don't. We believe in a God who encounters. So firstly, Jesus heals. Jesus heals, obvious. When you read this passage, when you read the Bible, there's no mistake about this. About a quarter of the stories in the Gospels about Jesus' life and death and resurrections a resurrection or about miraculous healing. One of the most fascinating things when you read about the opposition to all that Jesus faced during his time on earth was never once did anyone attempt to deny his miracles. They sometimes said there was a bit black magic, wizardry, but they never said they weren't real. None of them. Professor Graham Twelfthree, Oxford graduate and academic dean at the London School of uh, Theology, he wrote this, However reluctantly, the vast majority of students of the historical Jesus confirm that Jesus performed mighty works. It's a fact. 
the single most time-consuming aspect of Jesus' public mission was the performing of miracles. Any critical reconstruction of the historical Jesus must not only include, but also indeed emphasize, highlight, underline that he was the, mo- a most, the most, a most powerful and prolific miracle worker. A lot of people don't like that. But you know what? I get that. Miracles are hard to believe. They wouldn't be miracles otherwise, would they? That's the definition of a miracle. In Matthew 28, we're told that the apostles on seeing the miraculously, phenomenally risen Jesus, a miracle, some worshipped him, but some doubted. That's a remarkable admission admission to make by the writers of of an early Christian document who were in the midst of persecution. This must be true. Some believed, some doubted. I remember when I first became a Christian, I found this aspect of the Christian faith awkward. As a doctor, I wanted to just kind of brush it aside. Don't need that bit. But the more and more I read about, read the Bible, the more and more I read the evidence, if you like, I couldn't just sweep it under the carpet. Jesus was challenging me more and more to accept all of who he was. Healing was in his very nature. Knowing Jesus means accepting and understanding healing. Exodus 15.26 says, I am your God, your healer. That's personal, your God, intimate. It's not just what he does, it's who who he is. Another clever professor, Gerd Thiessen from Germany, and another scholar of um, of Bible history, he writes, nowhere else do we have traditions of so many miracles by one single miracle worker. Jesus, hear this, Jesus healed lots of people, and not only that, he was unique in doing so. But why? Why did he do it? Let's take this man for an exam- uh, as an example that we just read about. This man was an invalid for 38 years. He wasn't looking for Jesus. We read that in the tone of the reading, didn't we? Um, Jesus came deliberately to him. In fact, when the Pharisees asked this man who performed this miracle, he didn't even, he didn't even know. Jesus is intentional intentional about this individual on this particular day. He goes to Jerusalem to the place where he knows there will be lots of disabled people on the Sabbath, a day where he knows he'll get into trouble for healing. And in amongst the crowds, crowds of sick people, he picks one. Why? Because he was compassionate. He's a personal, he's an intimate God. Are we motivated by compassion when we pray? That's a serious question. Matthew 14, 14 says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, even in the midst of a large crowd, and healed their sick. Mark 1.40 says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. 
Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Compassion. Listen, this very same Jesus has compassion for you, for me, for us. There are people in this room with all sorts of illnesses and pain and depression and disease. There are people in this room this morning who want to see Jesus' miraculous healing in the lives of their friends and family, people on their streets, people in their schools, people at university, wherever it is. Here this Jesus has compassion for you and he has compassion for them, period. Fact. He wants our eyes to be opened to the bigger picture of what he is doing, rooted in a God of compassion. Tim Keller writes this, the Bible tells us that God did not originally, it's my favorite selfie by the way, that's not, uh, that's not Jonathan by the way, just in case you were wondering, that's Tim Keller. Anyhow, the Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem the world where it is wrong and heal it where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want and know should be is coming. There's a bigger purpose to Jesus' healing, restoration, the kingdom of God, his rule and reign making a difference. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been do doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything for me in my name and I will do it. Do you believe that? That's always been a challenging statement for me. Do you believe that? I'm not shrinking the theology of healing. Not everybody gets healed. We live in a now and then and blah, blah, blah. I like theology. You know that. But do you believe that? That's what Jesus said. Secondly, Jesus works. Once again, it was no accident or coincidence that Jesus does what he does on the Sabbath. He was once again bringing greater revelation about who he was. That through his work, he, his, he brings us the Sabbath rest of God. It all begins with him, not you, not me. Let me explain. Back in Genesis, which describes God's original plan for humanity, his intentions for humanity, before Adam and Eve decide to disobey God and go it their own way, as God is making the world, the universe, cornflakes, everything, over six days, that's how, it, that's how the Bible describes it, it says in Genesis 2-2, quite surprisingly, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Question, why on earth is God resting? Why is he resting? 
because he's tired. Oh. Hey, it's the weekend. I'm God. I can do what I like. I'll kick off my shoes, sit on my LAZ boy and watch songs of prayers. Is that what Sabbath was about? God taking a break. Have a Kit Kat. Why on earth does God need rest? Isaiah 40 tells us, Do you not know? Have you not know, heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Not. Jesus says here in verse 17, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. <coughs> so why the day off? Well, Jesus tells us in Mark 2:27, really, as he unfolds the bigger picture of Sabbath. The Sabbath, Jesus says, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. What's he saying? Jesus was declaring his, this truth in action. Sabbath was made for mankind, you and me. It wasn't for his rest. When God finished his phenomenal six-day work, he stopped Sabbat. That's the word they use in the Hebrew. So that Adam could open his eyes on, remember, his day one, not his day seven, open his eyes on his day one before Adam had done anything at all. He was resting in all the fruit and amazement of what God had already done for him. Absolute undeserved grace. His Sabbath day would start in the evening, resting, fellowshipping with God in the cool of the day, eating all that God had provided for him, then sleeping. Grace, grace. A lot of you like sleeping. That's grace, isn't it? You see, the workaholic can't get this. He frets and stresses, or she can't get this. He, she frets and stresses. She fumes and twitches because she's all reliant on, him, on herself. I've changed it to she now, and it's written he, and so that makes it really difficult, just in case you're wondering. She genuinely believes it's all, it all begins with him. The result, burnout, breakdown, relational upset, depression, fatigue, weariness. Some of us religious types go through the same thing too, don't we? Cycles of feeling self-righteous because we're doing everything right, guilty. Uh, because we're not following everything, depending on how our spiritual life is going or our church activity and results are going. That's what the problem was for the religious leaders of the day. They had made Sabbath into hard work, not grace, with all their added rules and do-its. They had made Sabbath into a way of proving themselves, a way of highlighting that it all begins with them, not God. But Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I've come to renew, restore, give you a bigger vision, a real vision of the Sabbath. He wants to learn. He wants us to learn and experience that the world, the church, our lives, our families, our relationships are safe and secure in his hands. Do you believe that? Mark Buchanan uh, writes in his amazing book called The Rest of God, um, he says, I learned to keep the Sabbath in the crucible, the fiery furnace of breaking it. God made us from dust. We're never too far from our origins, he says. The Apostle Paul says, we're only clay pots, 
dust mixed with water. Hard, yes, but brittle too. Knowing this, God gave us the gift of Sabbath, not just a day, but an orientation, a lifestyle, a culture, a way of seeing and knowing and living, an attitude to nurture, stillness, both a time on a calendar and and a disposition of the heart. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also, hear this, the rest of God, the things of God's nature and presence we miss in our busyness. That's why God's highlighted how great He is this morning. He's sufficient. Jubilee, we are free to live, free to give, free to be. As we sang this morning, all rooted in the glorious truth that we are free not to do anything, but free to love Him who gave us everything, putting Him first. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And He says to you this morning, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will promise give you rest, Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's a promise. Thirdly, Jesus transforms. He, his understanding of healing is much bigger than ours. In verse 6 it says, When Jesus saw the man, the paralyzed man lying there, and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, odd question, Do you want to be healed? What would you have felt like? And in verse 14 we read, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning. And some, or something worse may happen to you. These are odd statements to make when you've just been healed or just before you're about to be healed. These are penetrating statements and questions. Superficially we might think, Hello Jesus, are you listening? 38 years, invalid, can't walk. What are you asking me? Do I want to be healed? Obvious, isn't it? But rather than being superficial, it's profound, actually. Jesus never wastes his words. You see, for this man, his disability will will have been his all and everything to him. His whole life will have been lived out for years and years on this mat, three feet wide and six feet long. Someone will have had to have fed him, carry him, clothe him, move him, clean him. He'll have probably been a beggar, no money, no future, no influence. And so now he's here... Before this pool, which allegedly had superstitious healing qualities, um, thinking, today might be my day. Give me the desperate desire of my heart. Make me walk again and all my troubles will be over. Make me walk again and I'll be the happiest man alive. I'll never complain again. I'll be set for life. But you see, Jesus sees deeper. He has compassion. Jesus sees the bigger problem in this man's life, much bigger than his physical condition. With these two encounters and and questions, he's asking him to explore what really matters in life, not just superficially as many of us do in the busyness and crises of our day-to-day, but instead to stop, think, reflect, contemplate. What is it that really brings persistent, persevering, happiness, joy, meaning. What is it? 
That's what's going on here. Jesus is, get, Jesus is getting this man to think. Jesus is saying, yes, I understand your problems, son. I really do. I've seen your suffering. He has. I've seen the rejection. That's why I've picked you out of this big crowd. I see you're in need of healing, radical healing, miraculous healing. But let me help you realize this. The main problem in your life is not your suffering. It is your sin. The main problem in your life, he says to this man, is not your suffering, it's your sin. We know what happens, don't we? Give it two months, give it six months. The reality is he will have moved on. Other pressures and urgencies will have replaced his obsession about his disability. His instant euphoria at being healed, yoo-hoo, will gradually get crowded out by the other stuff of life. You know what I mean. That's just going to happen. We see it all the time. So when Jesus says to this man, see you are well again, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you, he's saying, look, I've come into your life for much more than you can see. You have underestimated the depths of your longings. He's saying, by just asking for your body to be healed is not going deep enough. He's saying, if you want real happiness, if you want real joy, you need much more than that. You need to change the very thing that your heart most wants to a thrilling, transforming, life-giving, never-ending relationship with me, God. That's what Jesus says is sin, isn't it? Putting other things before God. Things that never truly satisfy. Charlotte's been there getting rid, going, going through all the different sections of our house I can't find anything now. Clearing a whole lot of stuff out. And I just feel God is saying he wants to do that in this church. He wants to root out the areas where you're not putting God. I'm not putting God first. He's calling us to think, reflect, stop. Not just ask for the immediate, but say, Lord, what is it in my life that is diverting me, deviating me, blinding me to the things of you who satisfy truly. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia books, writes, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition, in other words, sin, when infinite joy is offered to us in God, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seaside we are far too easily pleased stop sinning put god in his rightful place or something worse may happen to you jesus is compassionate jesus is real finally finally Jesus is God. Bono, the uh, lead singer of U2 and human rights activist, said this, what everyone should ask themselves is, who is Christ? I, think, I don't think you're let off easily by answering a great thinker or philosopher, no. He went around saying he was the Messiah, God, that's why he was crucified. He either, in my view, Bono's view, was the son of God or nuts. And I find it hard to accept that millions of lives, half the, 
half, of, uh, half the earth for over 2,000 years have been touched, have, their, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I don't believe that. I can't believe that. See the last bit of this passage? We read uh, verse, 16, uh, we read verse, verse 16 and onwards. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. If the band can come up, that would be helpful. When we pray for healing, we're going to pray now. When we pray for healing, we pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because Jesus is God. We're not asking for some magic. We're not trying to cultivate some inner strength. Jesus is God. And if we believe who he says he is, and he says who he is, then healing comes from the beauty, the glory, the person, and the power of Jesus. That was the claim that got him killed. That was the vindication of his resurrection. That's the reason why billions of people trust in him across the globe. That's why you, that's why I have personally seen blind eyes open, frozen shoulders suddenly start moving. Wheelchair-bound people dance, get up and dance. Depression lifted hopelessness restored. People who were so far away from God that they couldn't imagine, suddenly, I switched on. <laughs> That's why you're here. Because Jesus is God. Look, if you're skeptical this morning, I get it, but hear this. Jesus' life is not, uh, isn't the life of a fraudster. We know that. No one has ever discovered the words Jesus ought to have said or the deed he ought to have done. Nothing he does falls short. In fact, he is always surprising you, always taking your breath away because he's better than you could imagine. Do you see what they saw? They saw as they looked into the substance of, the hum of, a, of a human being, the very presence person of God. Let's stand. He was despised, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But... He was pierced for our transgressions, our total disregard for him, dishonor for him, disobedience of him. He was crushed for our iniquities, not uh, putting him in his rightful place, sin. The, punish that brought, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Let's pray.